Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May it speak to us today. May we find encouragement as well as challenge. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us to be changed to be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The 1929 Rose Bowl. It was played between the California Golden Bears and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And in the second quarter of the first half, a man named Roy Regals picked up a fumble. And he picked up the fumble heading toward the sideline. And he bounced off of one player into another player and spun around and then ran 69 yards the wrong direction. <laughs> His quarterback, who was faster than he was, thankfully, because Roy was the equivalent of kind of a nose guard, although during that point in football, it was not quite what we have as a nose guard today. They did a little bit more roaming, and he actually played offense and defense. The quarterback was faster. And so the quarterback is running after him, yelling, stop, stop. But he couldn't tell who that was, so he just kept going. And right before he gets to the goal line, he gets tackled by his own quarterback and brought down. Now, you can imagine maybe what that halftime locker room was like, especially since the Golden Bears were down by one score, and they scored off of that, the Yellow Jackets, because they decided to punt. They were so far in their own thing, and then they blocked it and scored. The locker room was described as this. Normally, you've got a coach who is firing his players up. They sat in silence. Roy took a towel, put it over his head, and just wept, just cried. And the first sound was someone sticking their head in the locker room saying, three minutes to game. Today's sermon, how do you deal with other people's mistakes? How do you deal with other people's sins? We're going to look at the book of Philemon, the whole book. And we're going to do it together as a group, which is why you're all sitting closer. I want to invite you to open up your Bible if you don't have one there in the pews, to the book of Philemon. It is very easy to skip over because it's a page and a quarter. It's on page 1702, all the way toward the end. If you reach Hebrews, you've gone too far. So I'd like everyone to open up because we're going to do this together. This is a fascinating letter to have in our Bible. Because we really have nothing else like it in the scriptures. Page 1702, well, 1703, 1702 isn't actually labeled on the top there because it's the title of the book, but this is a letter 
that Paul writes to a friend. He writes it primarily to that friend, although we'll see in the introduction, it probably is meant for the house church as well. Um, Do we have another? Okay. Um, And I want to read through the whole letter because it's not very long. I'd like you to follow along. And then we're going to ask some questions together. Starting in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, But now he has become useful to both you and to me. I'm sending him back, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my, my, prisoner, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So this is an actual letter, a letter that at first, it did have some struggles even getting to our canon because it's quite different from most of what you read in the New Testament. Here's my first question. And I mean this as a question, it's not hypothetical, and I'm looking for an answer. What's going on in this letter? As you read it, 
What's happening? Anybody who is brave enough to give an answer? Okay. Paul is sending Onesimus home. What do we know about Onesimus? He's a slave. Who's he a slave to? Who owns him? Yeah. Philemon is his owner. The guy that Paul is writing to who has a church where? In his house. He's got a house church. His slave, Onesimus, has run away. He has run from this man. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background. Approximately a third of everyone who lived in the Roman Empire was a slave. There were millions of slaves. Slaves were considered, and this is a little different, please don't associate our understanding of slavery with theirs because there is a little bit of a distinction. Slavery in Rome, slaves were both persons and property. They did have personhood. Slaves could often earn enough money to buy their freedom. Sometimes people sold themselves into slavery because it was a better option. Oftentimes, slaves had it better than your poorest freemen. Now, it's still not a great place to be. You were still owned. You were the property of the slave owner. So when Onesimus runs away, what has Philemon lost? Property. What else has he lost? What does that property do for him? Yes, there's labor involved. And we don't know the distance so far. So what it looks like is this. So Paul is in chains. He's in prison when he writes this. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, even though he is a prisoner of Rome. Why do you think that is? Who? So Paul calls himself that probably because who is always in charge of Paul's life? Christ. Even if he's in chains in Rome, it is still he's in chains. And he's probably in chains because of what he's been doing for Christ. Onesimus has very likely stolen something from Philemon as you go through the letter. He has both taken something, he has run. Philemon is probably in Colossae. And this slave has made his way all the way to Rome where Paul's at. Now, this part is speculation. He might have done that because he knows that Paul and Philemon are good friends. Maybe it's a safe space. Maybe it's just random that he ran into him. But when he runs into Paul, what happened? What changed in Onesimus through his relationship with Paul? He became a believer. He came to faith. When that happens, what does Paul then do? What's Paul doing in this letter right now with Onesimus? He's saying accept him as a fellow brother in Christ. Yeah. So here's a runaway slave that by Roman law 
he could be executed, at least severely punished if the master ever got him back. Here is Paul saying, I want you to go back. I'm going to send this letter with you. And what is he asking of Philemon? Okay, I mean, please try to let this sink in, what he's asking of this guy. He is asking a wealthy slave owner to take somebody who has run from him, who is his labor, who is probably stolen from him, who does not in that culture deserve his freedom and treat him not as a slave, but as a brother to free him, treat him as an equal. So I started the sermon by saying, this is about how do we deal with others' mistakes? How do we deal with people who end up making our lives hard? You go back to that locker room and you picture this guy who is just sitting there weeping because the rest of the team suffered from something he did. As far as we're aware, Philemon's done nothing wrong. There's no indications of abuse, like he's treated Onesimus poorly. And yet Paul is saying, I want you to do something that will cost you your property. It will cost you labor. It will cost you whatever was taken from you. And Paul did say, charge it to me. Although, if you're reading between the lines in this, why is Philemon a Christian? probably because Paul led him to faith. And Paul is essentially saying, you owe me, as he said in there, your very self. So charge it to me. Maybe Paul was going to reimburse him monetarily, but we also know Paul is not wealthy. He's in jail right now. So he's asking him, I just want you to take this guy who has run away from you and stolen from you and taken away your labor, and I just want you to embrace him as a brother because he has become your brother. Back in the 15th century, there were two Irish families, the Butlers and the Fitzgeralds. They were wealthy, and in 1492, one of them was going to become the, de- the next deputy minister, which was the representative of the British crown in Ireland. Well, those two families decided to war against one another for this opportunity. And as the fighting took place outside of Dublin, it got out of control, and eventually the Fitzgeralds decided this was not going to end. It was going to be a bloodbath. And so they went to St. Patrick's Cathedral for sanctuary. The butlers also... I need to flip that. Sorry, the butlers did that. I just realized the guy's name is Gerald Fitzgerald. Can't forget that. (laughs) The butlers took sanctuary. The Fitzgeralds then came to the cathedral and asked them to come out. Let's have peace. As you can imagine, the butlers did not trust them. So this is what they did. Gerald Fitzgerald had a hole cut through the door. A hole large enough (coughs) that he could stick his arm through it and reach out his hand for peace. The butlers reasoned if he was willing to do that and lose his hand and lose his arm, maybe they were going to actually do peace. 
And so they came out. It created a saying, chancing one's arm. It is a saying in Ireland, chancing one's arm. Will you put your arm through and take the chance, though you have no idea what's going to happen on the other side? If you go to St. Patrick's, Patrick's Cathedral today, you can see the door still. They have the door. Paul is asking Philemon to chance his arm. You have no idea what's going to happen with this. You don't know what's going to happen once you free Onesimus. You know that he risks the entire social stigma that would come along with this. You have to treat your slaves in some way. What did the rest of the slaves begin to think? Well, heck, as long as we run away and become a Christian, he's going to set us free, right? I mean, he has so much to lose. And yet, Paul says, this, this is what it means to be a believer. This is what I want you to hear about this letter. Today, far too often, Christianity is defined by what we are against. There's so many things that people, if you believe this or you believe that, you can't be a Christian or you believe this, and it is ugly. Christians are doing really ugly things in our society right now. Can I tell you, from the bottom of my heart, the primary thing that Christianity is about is the radical relationships that Christ is making possible. Paul appeals to Philemon in love. When Jesus stood before the leaders and he said to them, the entire law and prophets is summed up in what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. With his own, on the last night of his life, he says, a new commandment I give to you. Anybody know it? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the kind of love I want you to give. What he is asking of Philemon, that is the kind of love and relationship that is supposed to define Christianity. It is not what we condemn and what we judge. It is the compassion and the love and the radicalness of our relationships because of Jesus Christ that make us his followers. The way he loved Zacchaeus, a tax collector, Nobody wanted to be around that guy. Jesus went into his home to have a meal. That was embracing him. I want you to think of the people right now in your life that you can't stand. I want you to think of the people that are on the opposite pole from you when it comes to politics, economics, whatever. What matters most? Because the actions of the church far too often would say, 
those things matter more than our relationships. Those things matter more than our love. Christ would never say that. And you see it in his life. You see it in his teachings. I am not saying we don't stand for anything. I'm saying we stand for things, but we stand for those relationships and that love and that commitment to who he is and what he's called us to before anything else. If you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, cannot have a solid relationship with one another because we have different beliefs, there is something wrong with our faith. Those relationships and that love come first. And you may be thinking to yourself, but you don't know my situation or you don't know what I'm going through or you don't know what this is like. Just look what he's asking of Philemon. That is very real and it is very tangible and it will have real consequences in Philemon's life. Look at the kinds of people Jesus had follow him. Look at the kinds of people Jesus today still has following him. And I don't mean all the people that are out there really dishonoring his name. I mean people like you and me who screw up all the time, who dishonor Christ regularly, and yet he wants us in relationship. He wants us to do that with others. It's the primary point of this book. So, I need to tell you what happened in the locker room. Coach Price looked at the team as they all sat there in silence after that three minutes to game. And these were his words. Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. Players got up, they moved toward the door, they headed toward the the field except for one, Roy. And he didn't move. Coach said to him, (coughs) Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second. Roy lifted his head. His eyes were red. He said, Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life. And he would reflect on that numerous times throughout the rest of his life in different interviews. Coach said, after putting his hand on his shoulder, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Roy got up and he played the second half. Might not be surprised to know he played better than he'd ever played before. But throughout his life, this kept coming back. To give you an idea of just how often, there have been somewhere around 4,500 articles written about this. You can imagine how many motivational speakers have used this. You can imagine how many preachers have used this. 
And uh, here's something that, that Roy said later on. All the times I've run across or heard people saying, by the way, his nickname became Wrong Way Roy. <laughs> All the times I've run across or heard people saying, Wrong Way, even though they weren't referring to me, I immediately turned around to see if they were speaking about me. I still don't understand how I did it. <laughs> Later on, he joked, if I had to do it again, I'd still run in the same direction. For surely I thought I was going the right way. <laughs> you run the wrong way with a football in front of 60,000 people, and it's pretty hard to lie your way out of it. <laughs> Here's the thing. He never got to get past it. The only thing people saw was the mistake. And yes, they used it for some positive motivational thing. They used it in a sermon to like entertain people and get them thinking. But he went on and had two more years. He was the team captain as a senior. He played really good ball. But he's not remembered for any of that. He's remembered for his mistake in at least 4,500 different articles and thousands of motivational speakers and preachers. That's what he's remembered for, his mistake. We have an opportunity not to remember people for their mistakes. So we don't know what actually happened with Philemon Onesimus, but the tradition of the church is this. The tradition is, Philemon did exactly what Paul asked. He freed him. He welcomed him as a brother. And we have a historical record of a bishop named Onesimus during this period of time. If Philemon welcomed him, treated him as Christ wants us to treat those who have messed up, Onesimus is not remembered for all of his mistakes. He's not remembered for his slavery. There aren't 4,500 articles written about what a terrible person he was. He's remembered for becoming a believer in Jesus Christ and eventually a bishop in the church to help pastor others. What can our forgiveness and our relationships do if we're willing to treat people like that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus would come, give his life in so many ways, not only on the cross, but to live and to show us humble and loving and righteous living. Lord, thank you for this little letter that shows us the radical nature of the kinds of relationships that are at the very heart of Christianity. Lord, I pray now that each person would think about what this means for them and that we might be people who don't know others just for their mistakes, but we help them become all they are, can be in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.